Hey, thanks for stopping by. We are a group of students and professionals from Beijing and Shanghai, and this is our podcast on the uncertainties relating to the economy, society, and employment during and after the COVID-19 pandemic. We invite industry-leading experts from all around the world, and we hope that you'll learn lots from their sharing. This is the second part of our podcast, and feel free to catch the first if you haven't. Thank you, and stay tuned. So, as we can see, InnoSpace has a very impressive track record and has a very stable relationship with a lot of organizations, especially with the government. Hence, it is able to reach out to other um, startups and provide very substantial operational and financial support. So, now we'll pass the time to uh, Mr. Rudy Lin to share more about his experiences as a former head of fintech DBS. All right. So for those who have joined us, very good evening uh, once again, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Rudy, and um, I used to head up the fintech team back at DBS. Um, today, primarily the agenda is really to talk about you know how this whole COVID uh, situation has you know affected us, and this really bring us back to the situation of digitalization, right? Like how you know corporates when they digitize, right? Um, it really reflects you know in today's context, you know when people stay at home and the dependency on digital services has, you know, tremendously increased. Um, and from the perspective of hiring, how does that actually correlate back to you, right? Especially for uh, ladies and gentlemen, when you are graduating from school and looking for a job, you know, you really want to know what's the psyche and what's the mindset behind hirers. Um, if you don't mind me, then perhaps I would go back to the story of DBS, you know, its journey on digitization, and then I'll link that back to, you know, how digitization is important to you, ladies and gentlemen. All right, so um, before I begin, uh, just a quick guess, right, uh, everyone. Uh, what do you think, you know, back in the days of 2008, uh, when they had the economic crisis, right, um, DBS stands for, the, the word literally, you know. Anyone to make a guess? Um, back in those days, by the way, DBS is ranked number one from the bottom, okay? Uh, it's, it's one of the... Um, worst ranking bank in terms of brand itself. So just a quick guess, right? What do you think DBS stands for? Environmental Bank of Singapore. <laughs> that's, the, that's the actual brand name, but uh, okay, no prizes for uh, winners. Um, DBS actually stands for damn bloody slow, right? Because being the sovereign bank in Singapore, right, everybody queues up at the ATM, you know, try to get their cash and all that, and services become very laden, you know, after a while, you know, um, just from the mere fact that they are not actually enhancing a lot of their processes, you know, so things become very slow and very uh, laggy and then becomes a very bad brand for Singaporeans to use. So eventually when uh, the new CEO joins, you know, he make the mandate and say, you know, uh, uh, look, we want to be the best bank uh, in Asia, right, two years five years, I don't care, right? Let's make it happen. And in 2014, uh, DBS Bank became the best bank in Asia. And what happens after that, right? The next goal actually was in the next four years, a crazy audacious goal, which is DBS as a Singaporean bank to be the best bank in the world. So uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we have actually achieved that uh, audacious goal in 2019 and uh, DBS Bank is actually the best bank uh, in the world rated by uh, eFinancials. So you guys can actually find some of those information online, but uh, without further ado, let me go straight into the uh, presentation proper. So that gives you a little bit of idea of how we get there. 
And of course, uh, I have to begin with uh, one of my idol, right? He did say something that is very mooted and uh, very relevant in terms of uh, where we are today, right? He said, you know, banking is necessary, but banks are not, right? So it really makes us think about, you know, the service versus, you know, the entity, right? So what is really important now, right, is draws us back to who the service is for, right? Eventually, it's really for the customers, right? In, in element, in every element of how we design the bank today, it always goes back to, you know, not the, the, the monetary benefits itself, you know, for the bank, but how our customers could enjoy, you know, the, the engagement with the services when it comes to banking. And especially so when it's a very, very tight uh, space like this, right? If you see the screen now, and uh, those who have not visited Singapore, this is actually uh, Marina Bay. Uh, if you stand across, you can see, you know, our landscape of all our offices. Um, obviously, you can see DBS Bank on the left. Um, what is really interesting here is there is actually a lot of space within one, oh, sorry, a lot of banks within one picture. Right, there is a um, UOB, Citibank, Standard Chartered, Maybank, and so on and so forth. It really shows how competitive the banking landscape is, and really how important it is, you know, for a sovereign bank like DBS to really buck up and you know do something about its uh, its services, uh, its offering, and in terms of you know having itself uh, position itself correctly in the competition, right? But you see, here's the thing. On your left, you see the ATM machine. And that was actually the very first eight, the picture of ATM machine being launched in, uh, on Wall Street about 60 years ago. And then on your right is a present ATM machine. Not much of a difference, isn't it? Despite the bank keeps telling us that they have enhanced everything, innovate, you know, to the, to the call of things. And look, you know, one very physical evidence, you know, that you see almost all, every day of your life, right, is how much has actually uh, changed. So, the cute thing about this is we ask any CEO of any businesses, right? How they feel their services are, uh, uh, you know, in terms of the standard, right? Is uh, to their customers, they always say, you know, it's pretty awesome, right? 80%, you know, our services, our, our business is good, you know? But if, have you ever asked a customer from their perspective, you know, what do you think is the level of service um, that they are enjoying from, you know, the business? 8%. So as you can see, this this is stuck. You know, difference between you know expectations and reality, right? And this gap created some big problems for the bank. And let me introduce to you, ladies and gentlemen, this is actually the uh, a screenshot of uh, Wells Fargo. Um, I know it's a little bit messy there, but you will be able to pick up some of the services from um, insurance to loans to retirement plans, wealth management, so on and so forth. But then surrounding all that services is actually fintechs. The reason why so many fintechs are able to enter this space is because of the gap that I've mentioned earlier. They're able to address those gaps, right? In terms of efficiency, in, in terms of uh, user interact, uh, interface, you know, user experience, you know, in terms of uh, convenience, you know, in terms of pricing, there's so many opportunities um, that the banks put on the table for the fintech to just uh, take, you know, 
So this is some consideration, you know, for the new generation to really think about, you know, uh, in terms of opportunities within the fintech space, right? Uh, another mood example would be, you know, it takes about uh, 50 years for DBS to accumulate about $100 billion worth of transaction. How long do you think it took Alibaba to do that? 11 months. 11 months to accumulate $100 billion of transaction, which took DBS Bank 50 years to accomplish. So really we should not undermine you know, the ability of uh, fintechs and startups, you know, especially in today's terms of things, right? So let's bring us back to DBS as a company. Uh, we really have to ask ourselves, you know, who is the boss then, right? It's really not the one that we report into, you know, uh, or the CEO of the company. Really, the boss is the customer. The customer is the one that put food on our table, right? And, and if you really, you know, have this mindset shifted a little bit, right, it brings us to really think about then, how do we build our business around that customer? And this sheds some light in terms of, you know, the strategy that we have adopt, right? So very quickly, um, this is kind of a bit of a, a governing framework that we use uh, in terms of approaching how, you know, the company would transform itself, right? And the very first thing that we do, uh, which is on the left top corner is leadership. One fine day, uh, Piyush Gupta, which is CEO of DBS Bank, um, he, 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 gave a, he gave a speech, right? And he said to, to all the bank colleagues, um, and he said that, you know, number one, we are not a bank. DBS is not a bank, right? DBS is a technology company, right? So, so that suddenly, you know, shook us up a bit, right? Because this is all about addressing the cultural elements, right? When people say, you know, like, I don't want to touch uh, technology, you know, this is not what we do. Piyush addressed right at that point by saying, no, this is exactly what we do, right? We are a technology company and we're going to digitize to the core. Secondly, he says, you know, um, to all his uh, one-down generals, right, that 2% of your balance scorecard attributes uh, back to innovation. So suddenly everybody woke up and go like, okay, what, is, what does innovation means, right? So from that point, it cascade downwards, you know, everybody starts to straighten out in their seat and go like, okay, you know, this, this time around, the bank is serious, right? It, it needs to transform and the boss is saying it and it impacts our, our income, right? So leadership is always the first thing that moves us, right, in our framework, right? And it follows by the culture. So now when it cascade down, people start to, to think about, you know, seriously, what innovation means, what does digitalization means, right? How do I get my bonus at the end of the day? How do I submit those performance and how do I include those performance as part of my daily work? So that becomes culture because when there's a culture shift, it always started from the mindset shift, right? And, and after you have people, you know, starting to understand, you know, um, and appreciate and open your mind to transformation in terms of the digital space, you've got to let them have the ability to do so. And that's why, you know, on the left bottom uh, of the quadrant, you have programs and tools. You have to actually teach people how to innovate, teach people how to use technology. So then we have a series of programs to be able and enable people to do that. Because PU says this is not a bank of 26,000 employees. This is a bank of 26,000 entrepreneurs and enablers. So we need to enable them. We need to give them tools. 
eventually, and only because we have the ability to work with technology, then the technological play comes into the picture. And I will talk a little bit about the technological foundry that we have created in the bank, um, which is a little bit unique. Um, so I will spend two to three more minutes on that uh, in the later slide. So um, today, right, it's really about, you know, uh, you guys, you know, coming into the workforce and, you know, especially for corporates who has been uh, more forward thinking and has uh, shifted a little bit on culture. Um, the way we hire, you know, tends to be also a little bit different. Um, and the best way for me to, to, to exemplate and, and illustrate this is through some of the projects that we have done. Uh, and that really shows you how, you know, we think quite differently. Let's talk about the very first program called Unicorn. I, I think it's a bit corny, but... Uh, <laughs> So what Unicorn really uh, uh, exemplates is uh, it's actually a management associate program, right? And most management associate program, as you would know, you go through the interview, um, you go through um, probably a year of rotation in different departments, right? But then the selection process for that has always been quite traditional and very standard. Um, would that actually address our current needs uh, in terms of finding the next generation leader? Right, things in terms of whether this, this leader is able to hustle, whether this leader is able to work under very lean working condition, tight budgets, small team, very little resources, whether this leader is able to think out of the box, right? Whether this leader is able to challenge the status quo, right, and bring our product and services to another level, right? All these questions uh, are in the heads of the hirers, but then how does it show in terms of you know, our process? in terms of hiring the correct uh, candidates, right? So we created this program called the Unicorn Management Internship Program, whereby it requires us to put up a so-called uh, pseudo accelerators where the banking business heads provide the students real banking challenges. And in this room where all the shortlisted students are in the room, they are supposed to form teams. And while they form teams, they are supposed to identify the leader and identify the solution and create a minimal buyer product within that, that span of three months. And they're supposed to pitch. But what the student doesn't know is the mentor that's mentoring this team are actually the business head, which is basically their future employer. The person that makes a decision whether they want to employ so and so forth students. Why we want to put them in such a harsh condition and, you know, because we really want to see under pressure, right? Under lean resources, you know, whether they, can, they are able to think out of the box, are, are they able to actually you know, crack the, the problem uh, creatively, right? Are they able to lead the team, right? To finish the project on time, right? So this program has run for a while and, um, we have uh, accomplished quite a bit of success, you know. Uh, in fact, you know, a couple of the projects are being implemented uh, in today's uh, services uh, that we rolled out. So I would say, you know, um, ladies and gentlemen, if you're really looking for a job, uh, this is one of the things that you have to think about, right? Like, um, how do you actually show your tenacity, right? And your ability to really, you know, uh, overcome traditional challenges by 
by incorporating modern solution, you know, and it's always good to actually read up a little bit more, you know, in, on, in terms of the tech news and, and the tech solution. If this is something that really interests you, um, and how do you use that to enhance your, your interview chances, right? Now, another interesting thing that we, we do is, we know that um, hackers uh, are great developers, right? But the problem about hackers is, of course, you know, their credentials are very questionable. Uh, and they are anti-organization, right? They don't really like uh, to join very traditional organization. So one day, you know, we came up with this crazy, dumb idea to say, why don't we do a 48 hours hackathon and literally uh, hire hackers that can hack into the bank? So we created some banking uh, vulnerabilities. We got an uh, uh, open invitation, you know, to Russia, to China, to Hong Kong, anybody in India, right, who wish uh, to join DBS Bank, feel free to hack, you know, into the bank and the winners get an opportunity to work together uh, with us. And in that span of time, we thought nobody would apply, right? It's a dumb idea, right? In that span of time, 12,460 applications, right? Uh, not 90 plus unicorns, but you know, that's a wrong number. Um, it's 300 uh, shortlisted candidates from the 12,460. And we have actually hired 50 candidates uh, into the bank. And now is the part that I, I, I uh, skip a little bit forward so that I can uh, talk a little bit more about the technology, which I promise um, everyone. So the way we look at uh, technology today, uh, it, it's very different, right? Because we, we didn't want to reinvent the whole wheel. Um, and obviously from the FinTech perspective, you know, um, there is a lot of application that's already being created by startups out there um, the question is, how do you evaluate the viability of those uh, startups uh, uh, solutions? How do you know that you know, they are not fly-by-night companies? Um, how do you know that you know, um, they have the, the, the technological capacity to integrate with your demanding you know, needs in terms of uh, your solutions that you want to roll out to, to all your banking clients? So there's only one way to find out, which is to experiment, right? So basically, we will try to understand, you know, what exactly do we want to solve within the bank? So the FinTech team that I manage uh, provide that consultancy ability, right, to speak with any, you know, business, uh, uh, business departments within the bank uh, and, and do a needs analysis, right, to understand where exactly is the problem and if there's even a FinTech opportunity coming to solve it. However, if it's buying like five iPads, then we say, you know, guys, go to procurement, right? So if we identify that there is a, a real problem that, you know, technology can solve, we will do uh, a tech assessment uh, and a global scan, right? Whereby we have a network of about 200 to 300,000 startups that we can speak with to find the correct solutions. And then we perform due diligence to make sure that, you know, they are actually uh, qualified to be shortlisted uh, for, uh, for usage, right? Um, and obviously, because traditional organization or any big and small organization, they have the uh, existing processes, compliance, procurement, input security, so on and so forth. All these things, um, we really have to think how we can actually uh, integrate them you know, into, the, into the organization and hence it's also part of the process. And eventually, uh, we try to actually time box 
a proof of concept, right? In the proof of concept, we should at least have one minimal viable product and test it at least one or twice so that the bank can evaluate that. Um, and this is a very interesting process, uh, ladies and gentlemen, because if you don't do a POC, what, that, what actually you know, usually happened is people got too excited about technology. They plunge in a quarter uh, uh, to a million dollars you know, to, to adopt the, the technology only to find out that either they are too ahead of time, you know, um, it cannot integrate with the bank existing systems, um, and a whole bunch of other issues, right? So I think the best way to, to, to find out, right, is really to test. Um, and I remember a saying from um, Thomas Edison, right, because I believe in your mind also, right, is what is the, what is the rate of passing, right? And what's the rate of failing? Now, it, it, in this scenario, really, like I would like to quote Thomas Edison, right, when he died, right, he doesn't really have a solution in terms of creating a battery to store electricity. He tried 22,000 times and somebody interviewed and asked him, wouldn't you be embarrassed to be such a famous person to have failed 22,000 times? And his answer was, not at all, because there's 22,000 reasons why this thing cannot work, right? So in his, in his head, he knows that, you know, I'm actually drawing closer and closer to the solution. And same thing for the bank, you know, the way you think is, we are really not shy of failing, right? The intensity here is to fail as much as possible so that we know when is the best time to really incorporate the correct technology or what is the condition for us to be ready to incorporate technology, where we need to improve and where we should time our solutions. So these are all the learnings uh, based on all our experimentations, right? So today I, I really want to emphasize a couple of things. Number one is, you know, really to embrace the digital world, you know, internalize, you know, all the solutions that's available, you know, experiment with it and, and really appreciate how this, you know, technology is not just, you know, something that we consume as a service, but how this technology can create value for people and solve people's problem, right? Secondly, you know, always ask yourself, even when we got hired, right, be it, you know, from a junior executive to, to senior executive, right? The things that we do, how does it really improve and, and impact, right, our customer, right? In terms of um, whether the customer is uh, literally somebody's buying our service or product or the customer is actually somebody that is a user of our services and solution. Really, really think through, you know, how and what we do make a difference in their life, right? And most importantly, uh, in today's world, efficiency is king. And I feel that, you know, the startup culture really embrace that level of efficiency. It's the never say die attitude, right? Like I will figure things out somehow. And I think that's very important, not just because, you know, um, you are uh, as a single startup, right? But but even as an as a employee in an organization, really think about, you know, like how I can actually circumvent this problem um, and, and, and mount a valuable solution, right? Propose it to the organization. Um, and finally, of course, you know, talking about the bank, talking about the economy in Singapore, right? It's really a safe haven, you know, in today's competitive space for us to really, you know, uh, provide wealth management services, right? So those who are pursuing a career in the wealth management space, you know, and have a lot of questions, you know, on how you can really tap on uh, the, the digital uh, reach, you know, and 
you know, how do you want to position yourself in terms of, you know, uh, being in an interview, you know, stuff like that. I'm happy to, you know, uh, fork out some time to, to help you along the way. You know, my WeChat ID is over there. And, you know, like if you have questions, just uh, shoot up to me. I think um, uh, there is probably some time left for me to answer some question. And so um, with that, I thank you very much for being very patient with my uh, presentation. And I wish you the best in your career pursuits. Thank you so much, Mr. Lin, for sharing your expertise. So as someone who has spearheaded um, DBS FinTech team to embrace digitalization, transforming DBS to from them bloody slow to them bloody solid, I really applaud your efforts. So I, I can tell that there are a lot of questions in the chat room. So the speakers can actually assess these questions by opening the chat room function. We'll move on into the Q&A segment. Um, due to the shortage of time, uh, we will try to keep this um, segment short and sweet. So uh, let me first pose the first question that I observed. It will be from Ms. Joyce Zhang. So it's a question directed to Mr. Tan. She asked, um, are overseas Chinese who return disadvantage in some ways to compete in the local startup ecosystem because the returnees are often perceived as um, someone who is not grounded in the local culture? Um, yes and no. Actually, the uh, local Chinese, or rather the Chinese startup uh, scene is highly competitive. Uh, for whether they are returning Chinese or foreigners, such as Singaporeans uh, coming over to, 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 to China, uh, there is not much of a difference, per se. The returning Chinese, in fact, if they are being held in a, uh, or rather if they work in uh, multinationals, especially in the engineering or the science, uh, scientific arms, the R&D lab of things, they are in fact very well embraced. Uh, they are well appreciated uh, yeah, by, by their colleagues, as well as by the, 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 the locals. Yeah. So long gone are those days where, uh, I, I, I know there are things some, uh, resistant, calling them tiu uh, tiao, you know that kind of thing. Uh, but I think uh, in, in today's world, especially in Chinese uh, Chinese government's drive towards uh, technology supremacy uh, in many key sectors, uh, their contribution in China would be even more uh, appreciated. Okay, thank you, Mr. Tan. Uh, there are some more questions in the chat room. And I think they are directed at the fintech area. So, uh, Mr. Lin, have you um, seen some questions that you would like to answer? I believe that there are quite a few. Okay, I think I'll pick one from uh, Tun Li, which is how does DBS software is tech in order to stay on top as a tech company? Um, we basically build up a library, um, and this library is really connected within the ecosystem, the tech ecosystem, right? We talk to um, uh, VCs, we talk to incubation companies, accelerators companies, um, and, and it's a win-win situation because um, here we are trying to use an opportunity for the tech startups to really experiment together with us. Um, and we hope that, you know, with the DBS brand, it really helps them to open up more doors. Um, but, but more importantly, we actually for the people, right? Appeals actually allow them to, to put food on the table at the same time, you know, to, to have the brand. Um, but, but then they also got a shot 
um, actually implementing the project. So, so the, the whole concept about, you know, um, the upside of working with DBS actually attracted a lot of um, good vibes, right, from the, from the ecosystem. Um, and that gives us a lot of opportunity to tap into good startup, right, whether um, inbound or from the library that we've built. Okay, thank you so much. Uh, let me take a look at the other questions. Okay, I believe there's one question from Siming. Uh, uh, the question is, should trade costs increase and libera liberalization efforts slow down post-COVID-19? And how can SG startups better ride up this wave of change? Thank you. I think maybe Mr. Tan, would you like to answer this? Um, I, this um, I think they, they, there's not much of a difference between uh, SG startups or foreign startups or Chinese startups. Um, it's just that you have to really stay very uh, focused. Uh, China, they, uh, in the face of this uh, trade uh, war with the U.S. Uh, definitely the government realized that they, that's what, uh, that, 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 that was why I said that uh, as long as you have got certain capability uh, coming to China and uh, they just like your own projects or you work in a company, you'll be well appreciated. So the Chinese uh, government, uh, there is a strong push towards uh, tech uh, development in certain key sectors. So therefore, likewise for Singapore startups or foreign startups, you need to know exactly how are you going, how, uh, where is your uh, play in this whole scheme of things? How can you, like, uh, in terms of technology uh, supremacy or in terms of uh, technology age, what, where, what, uh, what do you have that uh, the Chinese startups do not have that, you know, like, the, that, that will give you a, a, a push forward? Yeah, I think that, it, it, and it's not, this is not just uh, about uh, being in China or even in some other country as well. Okay, thank you, Mr. Tan. Uh, next, uh, could we have one more question for Mr. Lim, please? Um, I think due to time constraint, that might be the last question we can accept. Mr. Lim, do you see any questions you'd like to answer? Okay, that's a question from Phi. It says, traditional banks are just brick and mortar. Facilitating as a storage of currency and transaction. High fixed costs due to staff, rental, and security, etc. You know, PayPal and Visa, on the other hand, can do the same at a much lower cost, especially transactional cost. Hence, the disruption together with robo advisory that gives you the, the, the bank's RM a run for their money, right? So here's the thing um, when you part with your money, uh, I think you will demand a lot more customized solutions. Um, to fit your financial needs, you know, um, just by going to a website and uh, just picking up some uh, robo uh, robo recommendation, uh, it's not good enough. Um, maybe from a retail perspective, a small amount of money you can bet and gamble on that. But I'm not talking about that, right? I'm talking about a larger amount of fun. You know, you you need somebody to actually advise um, uh, you in terms of how to strategically place those funds. Um, in, in today's context, I haven't seen one uh, global advisory entity that has, you know, on, you know, AUM of, you know, like 
five fifty million and up um, without you know some personal intervention. So I think let's let's be a bit realistic about you know the current state of technology. It, it is great that the, the technology is developing you know well and forth in this space. But uh, in, let's just take account of where we are today. I think it, you know the best uh, recommendation I would have is really a hybrid between you know having um, RM with assisted recommendation from the markets um, and make those recommendation, those sound recommendation. I think machines are great for calculation, right? Machines are great for you know spilling out you know information very quickly. But then it really takes the RM you know from his experience you know. Um, Number one, right, to how to position um, the, the investment properly, manage the investment as it, as it moved. Number two, right, is really the relationship. I think um, the second element is also important, especially if anyone is pursuing in the space of sales, right, or, or our relationship management. Uh, sometimes you might think that it's all about numbers, but often, right, uh, your, your pocket is actually closer to your heart than, than the head, right? It's... It's really about you know who you trust uh, in terms of uh, parting with your funds. So these are elements that um, uh, I hope you know would balance off um, in terms of anybody who's jumping straight to the extreme end of uh, investing in robo advisory. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much, Mr. Lim. We'll have uh, one final question. Uh, this is posted from one of our supporting organizations and I think it's a brilliant one. So it will be open for both speakers to answer. The question is, while we recognize the growth of tech startup and digital sectors, this is a very strong sector and will absorb employment. Are there any sectors that would likely to see a sustained growth uh, and hence viable in terms of employment opportunities for graduates? So moving out further from the tech uh, sectors, are there any other sectors that still provide such opportunities for employment? Um, I, I think the whole COVID-19 uh, and other things, uh, especially for China, uh, healthcare services, uh, be it uh, online or offline, I think that this is the part that uh, they are going to uh, have massive uh, investment uh, both by the Chinese government as well as the private sector to ramp it up. So therefore, for uh, in terms of uh, uh, employment opportunity, I think other than tech, um, healthcare services or healthcare sectors is going to be uh, massive for China. Yeah, what about Mr. Lim? Is there a sector that you observe that will provide such um, room for growth? I think uh, Richard has addressed the sector part uh, quite adequately. Um, in my opinion, I think you also must consider about you know, where you can manifest your best potential, right? Because um, in any way that you go and you are a specialist in that area, right? You know, carve out your own special space, right? Your own special spot and your own special value. Um, I think to your question is really about, you know, what do you think, you know, you can do that synergize with what the market wants and pursue that area. Thank you so much, Mr. Lim and Mr. Tan for addressing these questions. Due to time constraints, unfortunately, we are unable to accept more, but we can always communicate post-forum. If you are keen to join our networks, please scan the QR codes on our slides. We have the Singapore Global Network Group if you would like to expand your connections and stay connected with what's happening in Singapore from wherever you are.
This is especially essential for people who are situated overseas, be it entrepreneurs or students. Also, if anyone would like to reach out to the speakers, they have provided their WeChat contacts in the chat room as well. Moving on, please also feel free to join the OSG WhatsApp group where we will be sharing post-forum materials such as our podcasts and transcripts as well as to receive updates about our upcoming events. Our next e-forum in the overcoming COVID-19 series is tentatively scheduled to be on 16 May, which is also a Saturday, and we will be addressing career prospects in the evolving job market. In addition, there are weekly entrepreneurship forums conducted by OSG held every Thursday. To cap it all off, please also help us fill out this survey if you have any feedback or suggestions. That will be all for our reminders. We sincerely thank everyone for your part active participation in the forum and thank you to all our supporting organizations. Have a great night and stay safe. Tune in for our next eForum. And that's the end of our very first podcast. We hope you had a great one. Links are in the description and join us for more meaningful content. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.